keys, tackle box in my hand Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man But the wife, she just don't understand I love walleye, perch, trout and bass And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes all tremble at the thought of me When I'm fishing for bun in country All in all, I'd rather be talking about walleyes Or bass or muskies, or panfish. But some days, you have to talk about the things you don't want to talk about. Today is one of those days. Starry Stonewort has found its way into Pamush Lake in Beltrami County. It's one of 20-some lakes with one or more forms of AIS in it. So we check in with Bruce Onspach today. He is the Beltrami Environmental Services AIS tech. A lot of stuff to cover, including what you can do to help, coming up on today's show. Welcome back to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, sponsored by Visit Bemidji. A very important topic today, as we have found out once again, there's AIS in another Bemidji Lake. Starry Stonework has found its way into Pamouche. We have Bruce Onspach back. He's the Beltrami Environmental Services uh, Aquatic Invasive Species Lake Tech. And Bruce, first of all, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks for having me. It's for me to get my word out. Yes, it's a, there's a lot to talk about today, but uh, first give us a rundown of what an AIS Lake Tech is and how Bruce Onsbach got involved in that. Okay, so my job basically is to educate people about aquatic invasive species and with the Beltrami County focus. Uh, the way I got into this is I started with the DNR in 2008 in their um, invasive species program. And then when the state gave out the $10 million to the, to the counties, a position opened up here for Beltrami County, which I live in Beltrami County, so I applied and I got that job in 2015. So educationally, this is have, stuff you've studied. Yeah, I'm a, I have a Bachelor of Science in Biology with a naturalist emphasis. Basically what that means is you learn to educate people about the natural resources. So I'm actually doing what I trained in college for. Tell us how you work with and in conjunction with the DNR because the DNR has got offices all over the state and then now we've got county offices. How does it all work together? Yeah, The way it is is the counties are basically the eyes and ears for the invasive species program. So what I do as part of my job is what I do is I do um, vegetation check around the accesses for aquatic invasive species. If I find something that is questionable, I report that to the DNR, which is Nicole Kovar, the invasive species specialist out of the DNR region. Uh, so we, I work pretty close with her. Uh, she gives me some assignments every once in a while. When someone reports something to her, she will tell me about it, and then I will go check it out. And so it, it's it's helpful, obviously, to, with so many lakes in so many counties uh, in this region, you need to have bodies pretty much everywhere if you can. Yeah, you do. And it helps out a lot if people look, and actually more people are looking that you know live on lakeshores. And I get calls to me to come out and check out things. And I'm more than happy to do that because I'm, early detection is a major way to try to prevent and manage aquatic invasive species. Because a lot of invasive species, once they get into a water body, there's really nothing you can do about it. So what you want to do is you want to prevent that from getting into the water body to begin with. And there's, uh, I guess what I would, well, there's there's actually fish that are AIS. 
There are the zebra mussels, which are living, swimming-type creatures. And then there's the plant-based. And, and that's what brings you here today is because the most recent one we got uh, was a plant-based report out of Paimush, and that is Starry Stonewort. Yep. The Starry Stonewort in Pamush Lake is it's there. And when I first found it, it's a small patch out by the public access. So, And what I was doing is I was doing... Uh, I was actually in Pamoosh looking for zebra mussels, and I was snorkeling in Pamoosh because Pamoosh is classified as infested water body for zebra mussels, but we've only ever found one zebra mussel in Pamoosh Lake. Hmm. So I was there looking for zebra mussels, <laughs> and I ran across some starry stonewort, and then I got a little depressed. <laughs> uh, I figured out how much was there at the public access, and then I took some pictures, and I sent that, and I made, verified it was starry stonewort by pulling some out and checking for the bulb, star-shaped bulb bills. And I took pictures of those, sent them to Nicole, and then Nicole put it on her list to come and look at it to verify it and also do a meander search of the shorelines in the rest of the lake to see if there was any other starry stonewort in there, which she did, and she did find a big patch of it on the other side of the lake, so on the west side of the lake and a little north of the public access. And that area has a private access in it that looks like it's used heavily, actually. It doesn't look like it's used more than just once or twice a year. Now what we are looking at is our first plan was to hand pull that small patch right at the public access. Now we have to decide whether it is worth it to do it or not. Generally speaking, it would be. So we are, I'm pushing and the county's pushing to have, to hand pull it or get permission to hand pull it at least. Um, but Nicole has a program where she's hand pulling um, on Wolf Lake and Beltrami Lake. So she's thinking she should be able to add that the Pamoosh access to that program. Okay. And it won't be the big patch that's off to the side. It's going to be just a small patch right at the public access there. What is Starry Stonewort, and why don't we want it? <laughs> Starry Stonewort is what's called a macroalgae. And the reason it's called a macroalgae is because you can actually see it, and it looks like a plant. Uh, the trouble is it's just individual cells just connected together. They don't really share materials. They will steal nutrients and stuff from each other, but they don't really, it's not like a vascular plant where, you know, you put some pesticide on the roots and it brings it all the way up to the very top. So these things are just individual cells connected to each other. So it's very hard to treat it with a chemical. Um, the other thing that Starry Stormwort is, is, and the reason we don't like it, is it will take up the whole water column. So it grows from the bottom of the water, bottom of the ground, all the way up to the surface, and it is thick. I mean, it's really thick. Um, it just takes up the whole water column. The only thing that can survive in there, or stay in there, I shouldn't say survive because, you know, but the only thing that can actually stay in there is very small organisms. I've actually pulled up a handful of starry stormwort once and started pulling it, pulling it apart, and I found small fish and dragonflies and everything else in there hiding in there. So it makes a very good habitat to hide in, but the bigger fish can't use the area. I can't see anyone fishing in it because it is so thick There's and there's no bigger fish. 
And then, of course, you're not going to be swimming in it because you're going to get all tangled up and the stars don't work. And you're not going to be boating through it. Um, on um, Moose Lake, when me and Nicole were found that one and we were surveying it, we actually tried to get up to one of the private accesses, and we couldn't make it <laughs> because the motor just got all bound up in there, and we had to basically stop, not go that direction. So... I mean, if someone was desperate, they could because, you know, you just pull your motor up a little bit and maybe paddle. But. Well, it sounds like kind of res- the, the b- bottom line results with the thickness and the problems that with it is somewhat Eurasian water milfoil-like. It, it is kind of. Um, Eurasian water milfoil will have a single strand that grows up to the surface and then spreads out in the mat. So underneath that mat, there's actually a lot of open water. So a lot of bass fishermen and other fishermen kind of like Eurasian water milfoil, even though I want to discourage that. (laughs) (laughs) But it does supply some type of habitat for bigger fish. Why starry stonewort, it's the whole water column. And it gets thick and widespread, and then it will actually kill off all the plants that are below it. Uh, The one, I don't want to say good thing, but the one thing starry stonewort does is it it starts growing in like mid-June. And so from the beginning of the boating season until about mid-June, you won't really notice it. And then it starts growing, and about mid-July to early August is when it will start taking up the whole water column. So you can still recreate up until then. But well, then it can get pretty nasty. Yeah, then it gets really nasty. It, it seemed like, you know, it was all zebra mussels for a while, and then it was all starry stormwort for a while. And then we heard more zebra mussels. And now we're starting to hear more starry stormwort. It's like there's waves of these AIS. <laughs> I don't know what causes that, but it, those seem to be the big two in our area right now. There are others, though. I, I was just looking at the list yeah. of all the uh, waters in Beltrami County. It's 20-some waters. And there's a, there's there's a few different ones in there. Yeah, we have uh, our main foes right now are um, zebra mussels and the starry stonewort. One thing about zebra mussels is you can still use the water body afterwards that you get in there, but you have to modify the way you do everything. With starry stonewort, it takes up the whole water column, so you're not even going to be using that section of water. And from what we've seen, like on Lake uh, Cronus, it can get really widespread and take up a lot of the littoral zone, which is the area that plants can grow. So you can use the water body as long as the water's deep and you can get out there. We also have faucet snails in Beltrami County, which was found a couple years ago, and that is on Black Duck Lake. And the faucet snail is an excellent host for a parasite that will basically burrow out of waterfowl's stomachs and intestines, and then they hemorrhage and die that way. So, And they, the faucet snail makes an excellent host for those, so those parasites population gets pretty large. So it actually has a major effect then. Three letters we don't like the topic today, AIS. Bruce Onspach, the AIS tech from Beltrami Environmental Services, joining me today, covering a wide range of topics related to aquatic invasive species in various Beltrami County lakes. Much more to come with Bruce next. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country.
Hi, this is Dick Beardsley with Dick Beardsley Fishing Guide Service. Are you looking to plan a fishing trip? Look no further as Bemidji, Minnesota is your year-round destination for walleyes, pike, muskie, bass, perch, crappie, panfish, and more. With over 400 fishing lakes within a 25-mile radius of Bemidji, come take a cast of becoming a fishing legend. While you're on your fishing adventure, come take a picture with the historic Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Discover the first city on the Mississippi, Bemidji, one step further. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Aquatic invasive species is the topic. Bruce Onspach joining me. He's the Beltrami Environmental Services AIS Tech. And Bruce, as I take a look at the list of Beltrami County lakes that have zebra mussels in them, it was pretty predictable once it got into a big body of water that's on the Mississippi chain, it was going to be really, really hard to stop. And it has been. Yeah, because that Mississippi chain, you can get get all the way up to Lake Marquette in a boat. We're not going to stop people from recreating. I mean, we want people to use our waters. We want people to use our resources. We just need people to use it responsibly. So make sure they do the clean, drain, dry. And and one of our recommendations is if they can't dry, to flush out their lines and stuff to get all those zebra mussel villagers out of the lines that are underneath the deck. Uh, Because a lot of times those hoses have little dips in them, and that little bit of water can actually have zebra mussel villagers in it. One boater doing that is not a big deal, but there's more than just one boater. (laughs) There's hundreds of people that are going to other water bodies within the same day even that they should be flushing out with some type of even just regular hot tap water would work wonders. And once something gets into like Lake 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 Bemidji, Mm -hmm. that upward flow of traffic can bring excess water and actually live villagers because if you have like a pontoon boat or a boat that sits in the water, zebra mussels will attach to that. And then if you go upriver, you're bringing a live zebra mussel that's possibly putting out young. Yeah, So it is, I mean, we haven't seen any zebra mussels yet in like Carr or Marquette, but that's that's an easy way it gets. And also if you look at the infested water bodies in Minnesota, most of them are the popular lakes. Mm-hmm. so it's <laughs> Which makes sense. Which makes sense because there's a lot of people going there. So it's it's uh, you can kind of see it, and the University of Minnesota's Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center has produced a um, tool for us to use to see what water bodies are really threatened so that we can focus our educational efforts on those water bodies too. The list I have here is about, what, 20-something lakes. Yeah. How many lakes are there in Beltrami County? Uh, I don't that, need an that, exact number. Yeah, that <laughs> that depends on what you define a lake as. Okay. <laughs> um, so what I look at is I look at about 220 lakes, and those are lakes over 20 acres. And then after that 220, I actually look at ones that have public accesses on them. So, and then I can narrow it down even farther to ones that have public accesses that have trailer accesses. I do go to the ones that have carry-in accesses every once in a while, um, but the threat level to a carry-in access is actually pretty low because canoes aren't really real high-threat watercraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to think kayaks were very low-threat too, but then I bought a kayak, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
I get mud and plants into that thing all the time because I'm stepping out and stepping in while I'm in the water. And then I found out that it's pretty hard to clean it out. <laughs> oh. So it, it's uh, so I could be transporting that around. It gets caught back on my foot from another water body, and then I step out, and a plant gets into another water body. So you got to be careful of that stuff. So, but there's still oh about 200 lakes that yeah. don't have AIS in them right now. That's so true. those who yeah. just say throw their hands up and say, "Oh, it's all going to," they're all going to get it eventually. Just 10 percent in Beltrami yeah. County have it right now. Yeah, and it's really easy to stop the spread. I mean, the there's been research done. There's been um, examples of people that have not infested their water bodies because they do the right stuff. I mean, they they clean, drain, and dry or flush or get their watercraft decontaminated. And uh, watercraft decontamination sites, there's becoming more and more of them, and they're relatively easy to find. Uh, you just have to know where to look. Um, and there's a website for it. And our county line, and I can help people find decon stations. And we have a decon station that's open seven days a week from... 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's just that I don't have someone stationed there. We, You have to call them, and then they will meet you there. And it takes 15 minutes for us to get there and set up. So it's, I mean, you know, you're getting ready to leave a lake, call us, and we'd meet you at the decon station and do a quick flush for you. So Here's my analysis as yeah. a layman whose sole knowledge on this is occasional reading and talking to people a couple times a year. It seems to me that everything I have heard, zebra mussels change the behavior of fish and change the way we have to fish, those types of things. As far as we know to this point, there doesn't seem to be damage to fish to this point. Yep. There was a research paper that just came out last year on the effects of zebra mussels and spiny water flea on walleye and perch fry. So what they did is they looked at some water bodies that have zebra mussels and spiny water flea, and then they looked at some water bodies that didn't have zebra mussels, at least they didn't know it at that time. And, of course, that means the population of the zebra mussels was very low, wasn't really having an effect on the lake. And what they found out is that the by the end of the season, the fry and the zebra mussel and spiny water flea infested water bodies weren't as big or beefy as the ones that were in the non-infested water bodies. Because zebra mussels are taking some of their food. Because zebra mussels and the spiny water flea are eating their food out. So they ha okay. can't get as much food, which means they have a less chance of surviving through the winter, um, as opposed to the ones that were in the non-infested water bodies. And that's as far as the study went. But then, you know, and I always don't like to do this, but I actually like doing it a lot. <laughs> so I, I read that scientific paper, and I'm going, well, that means those things aren't going to survive, which means we're going to get less survival to the next season, which means the ones that do make it to the next season are the ones that have actually found food, which means they get you know, a little bit more aggressive. They know how to feed, so they're going to get bigger faster. So you're going to get bigger fish, but not as many. Mm -hmm. which means not everyone's going to be catching fish. And right. So it's just it's a gonna, ripple. Yeah, it's going to ripple. But then the DNR stocks fish, which will counteract that a little bit. So how is that going to affect what 
what's happening in the real world. So it's interesting to think of all the different scenarios once you read a scientific paper because the scientific papers, when they write them, they don't really go into, you know, like what could happen because then it's not a scientific paper. Right, right. <laughs> so I, it's always interesting to think about things that could happen and what effects that you can run across after reading a scientific paper, knowing full well that you have no data really to say that this is going to happen. And this is the trick because this is what Dr. Andy Hafes always says to me when, when I'm talking to him about this stuff. We don't know what this is going to mean in 50 years. Yeah. Most of us can't think about 50 years. Yeah. You know, we've got 20 years to fish left maybe. Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe more if I, if I stay real healthy. Um, but responsible people need to think about 50 years and beyond. Yeah, because we're using a resource that is not – a permanent resource can get changed by all sorts of things. I mean, it could be changed just by going in there and using it. So people catching fish, releasing the fish if they don't keep them, but that fish got stressed out and dies. And you know, and it's it's a resource that we're using that can we can change very easily just by the number of people that are using it. And one of my things is always pack in, pack out. So if you bring bait with you, pack it out bring it out with you, even if you're not going to use it again. You don't want to release it. That's another big thing we found out recently, too, is that about 30% of the people that are using live bait have released that bait back into the wild, which you're not supposed to do. It's against the law. And it has a high possibility of transferring fish diseases and other invasive species, depending upon where you got that bait at. So it's a resource that you want to treat with respect and you want to think about, well, what am, what am I doing to this resource that's going to change it down the line? And since it's a natural resource, any change is a slow change, even though like invasive species like zebra mussels can change it within 10 years. But most changes in water bodies is very slow. It takes 20 to 30 years for, for us to actually start seeing things. So like in Lake Bemidji, the zebra mussels are doing really well this year <laughs> and uh, so they're going to be eating a lot of that base of the food chain out what effect is that going to have and when are we going to see it we probably won't see it for 10 years unless we are measuring it constantly and we do have some people doing some uh, water testing for us and some some checks for the secu disc and other things but you know there should be a a lot more research done and there might be that might not you know i'm not i don't know all the stuff that's being done especially with the college i've heard a couple of things that the college is doing about water sampling and stuff too that you know normally i would not have any knowledge of this is fish and paul bunyan country bruce onspock my guest he is the beltrami environmental services ais tech and we are talking about AIS in various Beltrami County lakes. And Bruce, once again, looking at the list of lakes. One of the things I noticed as I, as I was looking through this, everything's 2014 and beyond. Yeah. Is that when we started keeping records on this stuff? Or? Nope. That's uh, 2014 was when the money came out to the counties. Okay. So the counties get that $10 million, They split it all up between the counties, and they have a way to split it up. So in 2014... Beltrami County actually had a watercraft inspection program that year. So they had some inspectors, 
And then, and they were out at the water body looking at stuff. And then I started my job with the county in 2015. I have a early detection part of my program where I actually go out to accesses and look at stuff. And then 2014 is when they found, 2015 is when they found the starry stonewort in Lake Cronus, which is like starry stonewort, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> no one in Minnesota was even thinking about starry stonewort. And then we got the DNR got the information out to the counties, and I studied it going, oh, man, we probably don't have any of this. This is a late Coronas thing. But then in 2016, one of my inspectors said, what's all this stuff down here, Bruce? And we pulled samples and looked at it and said, oh, crap, I think it's Starry Stonewort, which started me on a very intense search for Starry Stonewort in 2016. I think as we keep hearing more and more of this, it's easy to get disheartened heartened about it. But I think one of the things to consider is the fact that, A, the DNR started doing this, the county started doing this, the state put more money into this, Lake Association started going out and checking this stuff out. You got more people trained to find this stuff than we ever did before. And this might just be more discovery of stuff that's been there a long time. It may not necessarily all be, you know, it was spread in the last five years. Well, that's definitely true. Uh, Starry Snowwork patches have probably been there for I would say at least four to five years. And one person that I was talking to on Moose Lake was saying it's probably been there longer than six years. And it was causing some slight problems before 2016. But, you know, they never really had a problem problem with it. But Starry Stonewall in 2016 did a huge ramp up in its growth. And uh, like last year, uh, it didn't really cause I mean, it was there. And it was getting close to the surface, but it didn't really cause a lot of problems. So, and that was like throughout the whole state. I mean, cause a lot of problems is is not really the correct term because it was causing problems. Sure, but it wasn't causing the coming all the way to the surface. It was coming about two thirds of the way up instead of all the way to the surface. So, so yeah, it and each invasive species acts totally different in different water bodies. One of my examples I always use is. In um, Lake Vermilion, they have curlyleaf pondweed, and I think almost a lot of people have heard about curlyleaf pondweed and how the problem that comes up to the surface and spreads out and then dies off in June and all this phosphorus goes back into the water. Lake Vermilion, it's actually growing up there, and it's just like one of the regular plants, uh, and we have no idea why. So, well, I should say I have no idea why. <laughs> uh, someone might, but you know it's. I haven't seen it, so. Well, we could talk about this for hours I, and hours, and I, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> but um, great information today, Bruce. I really appreciate it. But, uh, you know, for those of us going out, I mean, what are the key things we just have to be doing? Uh, remove any plant. Do the clean drain dry. If you can't dry, flush. So make sure you're removing all the vegetation, mud, everything off your anchors, all your equipment. Drain the water out of your motor because that Water that doesn't go up through the engine could very well have uh, villagers in it. And then if you're going to go to another water body within five days, flush out all your water-containing compartments with hot water. And we will be happy to do that. Uh, bait stores can give you regular water. They have a bunch of bags right now that we supplied them to give people water in. So that way they can you can get water from there and flush out. So that's really the key is to get rid of any excess water and any plants or materials. And, you know, if, if you miss one thing, that's not bad. 
because hopefully other people aren't missing things. And it takes more than just one introduction of something to get into the new system. So start invasive. Lake associations that might be listening and want to get something going on their lakes, do they deal with you? Do they deal with the DNR? What's the process? Probably invite me to come and talk to them about invasive species and how they can set up some prevention efforts and some monitoring efforts. I do have some few uh, other lake associations that have groups of people around them that are checking for invasive species. Also, the uh, University of Minnesota's Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center has a detectors program that people can sign up for. It's a very good program. I've gone through it, and they teach you a ton of information and teach you how to ID stuff, give you a bunch of resources to work with, and then they give you a whole system of reporting and doing invasive species work. If we spot something on the water that seems a little hunky to us, um, how do they get a hold of you and what do, what do we do? Uh, call uh, Beltrami County Environmental Services. Uh, my direct line is 218-333-8281. Sometimes I throw my phone number, my <laughs> cell phone number in there, So, but it's 8281. Um, and just report it on my, if I don't answer, just re- give me a report of it and contact information and I will come out and look at it if it's not something that I think is obvious after your description. And I've been getting a few phone calls this year because of the low water. So mm-hmm. what's been happening is plants will grow up grow up to the surface and the water gets lowered and then now they're all over the surface. But I still go out and look at them just because it might be something that we need to take care of. We want to do some studying or just get some more information. Where are our best resources for that? Probably the University of Minnesota's Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center because they are have a ton of educational stuff that they've been putting out. You can also go to the county, uh, our county website, and then look up Environmental Services Aquatic Invasive Species. And I have some links in there, and I have some basic information, so that way you can go through that, see if you want to know more, and then follow the links out. Is because the word Spock is in your name that you do the Starry Trek? Is, is... <laughs> no, the, the Starry Trek is put on by the University of Minnesota's Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center. Okay. And uh, they organize it all. Along. It's actually a couple of states do it. So Minnesota and Wisconsin do it on the same day. And what we do is we get volunteers to come out. I will teach them about um, Starry Stonewort specifically. Uh, also, Eurasian water milfoil are the two that invasives that I do, and then I go over some native stuff, and then we send them out to accesses to look for starry stonework and how to do it. And what it is is they do rake tosses. So there's a rake head on the end of a rope that they throw out into the water and bring in, and they look at the plants that's on there, and ID them out. We did find the Beltrami County infestation, or Beltrami County, <laughs> Lake Beltrami infestation at a starry trek. The, are the volunteer actually pulled in a little spriggan of starry stonewort, and it was definitely starry stonewort. It was no doubt whatsoever by anyone. So we went back to look, and we couldn't find any more. <laughs> but it got on our radar, and we were able to find a small infestation of it. And it's the only place in the lake is at that access. So, and it's set for hand pulling this year. So. Well, he's Bruce Ansbach. He is the Beltrami Environmental Services AIS Lake Tech. And great information today, Bruce. Thanks for your insight today. We really appreciate it. I really appreciate being here. Thanks. Always enjoy talking to Bruce and Nicole Kovar, two great people that are fun to interview. Unfortunately, it's 
not usually about fun topics. More fun the rest of the week, though, as we will hear from Steve Matson. We're going to hear from Brent Bolte, the Bemidji State football coach. The war on the shore is coming up, and apparently it's going national. Jason Rylander will be in to talk fishing and talk about the United Way fishing tournament down the road a couple of weeks. And Craig Dittmeyer is going to be in to talk about fishing in the Brainerd Lakes area. That's all coming up later on in the week. want to remind you, you can always subscribe to the podcast at Podcast One or on the Pod MN app, which will also give you access to hundreds of other Minnesota-based podcasts. And that way you'll be able to listen whenever it's convenient for you and get that bonus content that often shows up in the podcasts as well. That's it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. Thank you for joining us. 